And it said like, explain your CRT motivations within this lesson. And the, the irony that's like tragic within this is that CRT up until a couple years ago was generally known in education to stand for culturally responsive teaching. Yeah, and yeah. So not only do you have this new dangerous buzzword, but it is completely appropriated the buzzword that's genuinely trying to do good. And for our students, uh, it, it's quite a move uh, in terms of like the evil machinations to create this. To, to like, That's the cherry on top of it for me. So I, I will say I'm very jealous of that pick that you got that one on your team uh, in the most cynical of ways. <laughs> copier a conversation about teaching my name is jim maris my name is marcus luther uh so some reminders about the show this is an independent and listener supported podcast the goal of the show is to connect with a passionate diverse group of educators to bring helpful analysis and collaboration to folks in the classroom most importantly the show is about saying thank you to all teachers out there past present and future who understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change if this is your first time listening, welcome. We'd love to hear from you on social media at The Broken Copier, and you can subscribe to episodes and other writing at thebrokencopier.substack.com. If you'd like to support, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you stream, and uh, just to text your friends a link to the episode so they can tune in as well. Uh, so Marcus, you're, we're playing a game today, right? Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, we're going to pivot today. And we're going to play a game called Bad Education Buzzwords Draft. Uh, so if you talk to anyone in education, there are certain words that just do not sit right. You hear too often or you hear and then they are very discordant with reality. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to play a game where we uh, draft these. Very, I'm personally way too into fantasy football. Uh, so I love uh, it. At, yeah, you can ask me about my current team on another podcast. Okay. But uh, today we're going to go alternating draft of our worst buzzwords with quick explainers why with feedback and then we're actually going to post jim's team and my team of who has the worst buzzwords who won the draft uh so before we get into all that and we get into the absolute peak of cynicism uh what's one system in your classroom right now jim that you're proud of this year and how did that system emerge in that way um the system I'm going to, there's, there's a couple that's on my mind, but the one that I'm going to pick emerged from this podcast. Um, the, the big system that I have that I'm really proud of is the entry, my entry procedure. Um, I do, we have a, a list of commitments that the students like brainstormed through at the beginning of the year. And I sort of turned this word cloud into six different commitments that are, like achievable at the beginning or that are that are designed to the idea behind them is that they're achievable within one class period um so it's it's statements like i will ask for and implement feedback and i will ask questions if i don't understand um but the big key part of the system is having like um like a mindful or meditative sort of breath routine at the beginning of every class period. 
And I think, so the students will come in. The, the way that the system works is the students walk in and I have a list of what their desks need to look like uh, or the materials that they need to get out. And, you know, because a lot of times it's that opening, like um, opening up your Chromebooks and logging into Google Classroom and can I borrow a charger and all that. So it's like the materials that they need. And I'll say, you have one minute to organize your desks. You need this, this, and this. Go ahead. And there's not, I'm not like expecting them to jump into any academic work yet. Um, they have a minute to do that. And that's when I take attendance. Um, and it's always the same. And so then that minute is over. I get their attention back. Um, and then like right away, we'll roll into a mindful breath and commitment. Um, which sounds a little, uh, I don't know the right word here. Um, I hippie is coming to mind is when it was kind of how I felt when I first started it, but it really is super impactful. And we, I have the student, they'll breathe in for three and out for five. And they, and then I just say to stop and look at the board and choose a commitment. Um, and students are really doing it. And I think that it, some of them don't, some of them kind of think it's like a little bit out there and like a little silly or something. Silly is a better word than like hippie, but um, it came from the podcast. It came from one of my, uh, if you go back to when we were, you know, young podcasters a long time ago, uh, I interviewed a professor of mine, Dr. Comstock from my grad program. And a lot of his focus was on um, mindfulness in the classroom. And I've just read a lot more about that since being in his class and talking with him about it. And he really sold me on the routine. Um, and students have told me like, it's, it's definitely like a unique thing. So they appreciate it. And some of them have said like, this is like the only time in my day that's built into where I can just like take a minute to breathe and collect myself and feel like, you know, things are fine. Um, because yeah. So anyways, I'm really proud of that. I think it's, it's really empowering for students to like be able to have a very simple thing that they can do to just take a deep breath and focus. And like, it helps with attention. It helps with culture. Um, so it, and it goes really well. And the students at first they thought it was like silly and some of them still kind of don't really do it, but they all are sort of uh, into into at least respecting the routine and like knowing that other other people take it really seriously. And I just think it's really good practice for them. So that's going pretty well for me. Well, I, I love that. And I think my favorite part about, well, there's many favorite parts that I, at some point I'm going to incorporate that uh, into my own classroom. I'm trying to find the right moment because uh, there was like five other systems and sometimes you can get a systems overload uh, with new things as a practitioner. But my favorite part about that was how you incorporated their feedback into that system in terms of the word cloud and you took their commitments or their words and you often, I think that's a smart way because I always struggle with, okay, if we're going to have like students create this system uh, directly and you got seven different classes or eight different classes and they're going to disagree on some, how do you create an authentic one? And I love mm -hmm. the idea of getting the word cloud and mining through that to authentically create that. So I love it. Uh, on my end, I guess 
the one I want to talk about today is also uh, the word silly comes to mind because I'm going to talk about an octopus. Oh, and, man. Uh, I, again. Yeah. I, I love the octopus. Okay. So this, so this is actually, uh, we had family conferences this last week and multiple conferences, not more like, like 25% of them at least uh, ended with the student because I didn't bring, you know, I'm going through, okay, here's your student's growth on writing. Do you have questions about grades? Here are systems as a class. Like here's what's on the horizon and they're about to leave. You know, there's another family at the door and the student kind of gets like an urgent look in their eye. Mr. Luther, you, you got to tell them about the octopus. Uh, and mm-hmm. we're not talking about a live octopus listeners. We're talking about on the back wall of our classroom. Uh, we took our eight, our four core beliefs for our class which have been refined based on student feedback over years. And they come up, there's two core, two values for each core belief. So that's eight, going to that rule of eight uh, tentacles, or mm-hmm. uh, apparently they're not all arms and neither legs. So there's like a distinction. I think it's a 6-2 breakdown technically mm. in uh, octopus theory. So anyhow, eight tentacles. And the goal is students get nominated, sometimes by me as a teacher, but mainly by each other, that they have lived out those values reflecting our core beliefs during the classroom, during the class community. And they nominate each other over the year. Like we're almost up to 200 nominations so far. And uh, the goal is to try and sign all eight. And it's the kind of thing that when you present to students, uh, you get some eye rolls at the start. Yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. but you just lean into it. And there's purpose in learning to name and affirm one another. We as adults need to do better at that, quite honestly. Uh, and it becomes this thing of signing the wall. You know, you you read. For me, it's great. I just take the Google form with their nominations. I read what was said. And then I say who it's said about. And they cheer. And the person goes back and signs the wall. And it's a pretty cool part of the routine. But again, going back to conferences, these were not my like super culture bought in kids. These are the kids who were doing the eye rolling in class a little bit. But, you know, they wanted me to tell their parents, tell their family, hey, this is what my classmates have said about me. Can you keep t- talked about that? And it's just one, it's a great tool as a teacher because you don't see all these things, right? A lot of these are happening in like group conversations or in the back of the room. Like this student was kind to this other student by doing this. And two, it just is, I think, kind of like what you were saying, let's create mindfulness. Let's create our values in terms of the way we use time and systems in our classroom, because you can't just like put the values out there and never adhere to them in your practice. So yeah, that's, that's my big thing I want to brag on. That's great. I love that. um, The students nominating each other and like intentionally, intentionally noticing what a particular value looks like, or just describing ways that other people are helping them. I think, especially in high school. I mean, I think it's true. I'm sure in a lot of grades, but high, it matters a lot for high school students to be able to do that with each other. And it's, I don't know, it matters for adults too. Like, you know, I've, when I've been in um, professional settings and people are doing shout outs for, you know, teachers, I don't know. It's very empowering and uplifting to have people uh, say, say those kinds of things about you. So that's really cool. Yeah, no, and it's definitely something. If you're curious about it, I've it's I've been doing the signing the wall thing for almost a decade now. It's one of my favorite parts of the classroom. So let me know. I'm sure Jim be happy to share his system too. It's part of the goal of this podcast. But enough enough happy stuff. Yeah, it's time let's... to get ultimately cynical with mm-hmm. our first ever, hopefully first annual, uh, 
bad education buzzword draft. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. have any sound effects yet. Uh, they're in the process of yeah to begin this drafting process with whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to try and fake the NFL draft sound sounds, but we're going to go snake draft style. And how this is going to work is because uh, to be generous uh, to Jim, since I'm the more expert fantasy draft uh, person, you are. Uh, Jim's going to get to go first, and then we're going to alternate. And the goal of this draft, to be really clear, because we will put our results out there to get feedback, the Mm -hmm. worst list of buzzwords wins. So you're trying to intentionally draft words. And by buzzwords, we mean either words that are overused to the point of being uh, pointless or harmful in the education space, or words that are used and do not reconcile themselves with the practices that they're supposed to reflect. So like the, you know, saying one thing, doing another. Uh, and we'll give our own reasons for them. We'll kind of give some feedback to each other. Uh, I'll be tracking the list. And we are, of course, curious after we finish this episode, which ones we missed, which ones uh, that we got wrong. We'll, we're, these basically are our rankings of them, and we'll see how that looks. So you ready to go, Jim? I'm ready. Yeah, I want to... I have I have done some fantasy. I've played fantasy hockey before. Fantasy so hockey not, is a thing. Yeah, a fantasy a fantasy everything is a thing. I feel like any sports you can do fantasy. But yeah, I played I've played fantasy hockey, but I definitely haven't played fantasy football, which I know is like that's the big that's the big fantasy uh, sports sports thing. Yeah, no, I, I just always presume that fantasy hockey was like the thing that's really like gripping the nation from coast to coast. No, you know, Marcus, it's all right. It's all right. Hockey, hockey is not as popular. I'm aware of that. That's okay. okay. Um, yeah, man, let's do it. I'm excited. Well, okay. So, how are the point values going to work here? Are people going to vote? Should we post them? How yeah, we'll that? just post a pretty because uh, there's only two of us, so it's going to be like who had the best collection of bad buzzwords. We will right. post that. So you're trying to do that, and you can kind of sway the list. Like why? did you choose the words you chose is kind of right. your case. So, so make the pick and then say why you chose it. And I'll kind of give my feedback on that word. And I've got okay. my list. So I'm hoping like right off the bat, you don't take off my top few. So here we go. Take it away. Well, And that's, that's authentic for how drafting works. Sometimes people, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people steal your pick. All right. Um, my, my first pick, I feel like this is a, a reliable veteran in the league of of bad education buzzwords Uh, i'm gonna go with data driven as my first as my first pick uh this is a word that has just been completely twisted and i feel like it has such a meaningless uh, uh just there's no meaning you say you say it and you might as well be saying nothing in terms of what it means for classroom practice. I feel like students have, I feel like we've been living in this era in education or teaching in general, where just like we use the word data to have this objective description of why a particular practice is neat, like needs to happen. And people just, I don't know. It's just, frustrating to hear people talk about data-driven practices and i'm not of course you should have data-driven practices like i'm not saying to not use like data in a smart way but i just feel like one students are overloaded with grades constantly all the time 
And I feel like that's not helpful for learning. And teachers have, instead of, I feel like, especially for me, like earlier on, I was spending way too much time, like not productive time, like trying to make data look clean and justify like what I kind of already knew to be true. And part of this is like getting more efficient and effective assessment practices. Um, but I don't know, just data driven, something about it really just rubs me the wrong way. I feel like we're not using data smartly. And I feel like there's a constant level of like justifying either extra work or time or bad practices in the name of being data driven when I would rather a classroom be driven by authentic authenticity and like questions and, you know, I need to, I need to know how to do this skill. Like, how can I do that skill? Some of that you do need a little bit of data and you do need, and I'm not saying grades are not important, but that data driven just is so meaningless to me. So that's going to be my first pick. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm happy you left some on the board for now. Uh, so I'm, I will reveal my happiness later in terms of my pick. But I guess in responding to that, uh, data-driven for me means two different things. Uh, it, can, it can refer to the idea of these higher level practices and policies that are pushed based on data. I kind of would loop it in with like research-based practices. I'm going to kind of loop those two terms in. Yeah. Uh, but you're also saying like the way it affects classroom practice of like how everything you do in the classroom should be responsive to data, going over that data, collecting that data, adjusting practices. Cause I think those are the two different ones. And for me, the former really irks me the latter i'm a little bit more mixed i'm uh that's why i didn't have this as high on the rankings it was on my list because mm -hmm. i do think that teachers are responsible to say here's what your students have learned here's how i know i don't think that should be the be all end all of what happens in the classroom and we just talked about two systems in our classrooms to top off this podcast that are outside of the data-driven world but uh I think there's also bad practices that stem from that too, but I'm a little bit more lukewarm on it, but uh, I do get where you're coming from. And I think yeah. if you're talking about the big picture and what it's, how it's being used across society right now in our classrooms, I think there is a case for it. So I'll, I'll grant you that generosity. And I feel like with the first pick of the draft, you don't want to, I feel like you don't want to take your most risk at the, in the first pick, but maybe you do. Maybe that's a bad strategy. I just yeah. feel like data-driven is like an old, reliable constant. So I wanted to pick that up off the wire. Yeah, another synonym for that would be boring. But uh, yeah. let's, let's yeah. Uh, move on. So anyhow, I'm going to take my first pick. I'm going to just go with, like I would say, in the last two years, this is the most important word uh, without question. And we're going to throw uh, learning loss, uh, that mm -hmm. hated term that has been shouted from the rooftops, uh, especially with the latest uh, NAEP scores being released. Uh, the idea that through COVID uh, and the adjustments to the education system, that students have lost this massive amount of learning. Uh, and that just absolutely, for me, one, the term itself is problematic because it presumes that there was this learning, this level of knowledge that has now been taken away, 
when it in fact is referring to studies that saying that students have not grown to the rate that we wanted them to grow. Like, mm-hmm. like that's different, right? So like, instead of saying, you know, slight deceleration of learning that's in line with all other countries across the world in recent data that was released based on their practices, that that wouldn't be fancy, that wouldn't hit home. So instead, we're going to put it in all caps, we're going to yell, learning loss, mm-hmm. and we're going to use it as a weapon to attack any policy that we disagreed with formerly. And I think that's the other part about this. It's a weaponized term. And I think a lot of the other ones are stale in practice and they, and they have so they have problems within them that we're going to get into. But in terms of the tip of the spear or even the spear itself that's being used to attack public education, learning loss seems to be the most dangerous buzzword of the last two years. And uh, for me, I just want to make sure I feel pretty confident as the number one pick uh, that this is one that does harm to schools, to students, to communities. And unfortunately, seems like it's going to for quite some time. Yeah, I think I think it's a smart pick. I think the yeah, learning loss is. I, I feel like in some ways it's helpful to kind of understand the impacts of remote learning and COVID, but to frame it. To frame it in this way of like, we should have expected students to learn the same amount or comparing it with pre-COVID data is just so twisted to me. And, 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 you know, we've learned nothing about how, like, we've learned nothing about how to change or adapt our education system. Um, it's a good pick. It's a good pick. Yeah. And, uh, we could do a probably whole episode on it, but we're going to keep moving in our draft. Uh, I, I kind of feel not going to lie. Like you, like you just passed on drafting Michael Jordan a little bit, but, uh, okay. you know, as a, as a Portland trailblazers fan that, uh, always hurts me historically. So let's go to yeah. your second pick. Cause I, I do think that the, the, your team is defined by the picks after your first pick often in life. Mm-hmm. So your second pick, Jim is my second pick is specifically the um, abbreviation for critical race theory, CRT. Um, this is it. This this is so bad that it's funny to me. But like all like, I see a lot of like pundits and people posting articles, and there's this like people are protesting at school board meetings about how you know socialist teachers are teaching critical race theory and teaching how bad America is and we can't have it. You know, you have governors. Uh, I think, I think Florida governor Ron DeSantis has made, made a lot of hay out of this, but I think it's specifically the abbreviation of CRT, where if you use it, you're like part of the in group of the anti-education cohort of political activists and you can't really be bothered with you don't have you just you just don't have enough time to say the whole phrase critical race theory because even if you did have enough time you probably wouldn't be able to describe what you what you mean by that um and so instead it's just better to loop everything into this somewhat ominous and not very meaningful abbreviation of 
CRT as like a trigger word for ant, you know, teaching socialism basically. And I feel like that has popped up a lot more recently and is like a big, it's not really a big buzzword among educators. So perhaps it's a risk in that way, but I certainly think CRT is a, a very popular phrase thrown around when we're talking about education. And that is for sure one of the worst, uh, the worst things that's happening in education right now, I think. Yeah. And it, maybe I feel like like a year ago, this would have been the number one pick for me. And I think it's maybe a little bit receded uh, in terms of what I've experienced from like the peak of its power. But I, maybe that makes it more insidious in that way. I think the bigger irony here, <laughs> this happened this last week, we were looking at an old lesson plan template for a new project we were doing. And it had a box at the bottom. This is from like five years ago. This isn't like way back in the day. And it said like, explain your CRT motivations within this lesson. And the the irony that's like tragic within this is that CRT up until a couple years ago was generally known in education to stand for culturally responsive teaching. Yeah, and yeah. So not only do you have this new dangerous buzzword, but it is completely appropriated the buzzword that's genuinely trying to do good and for our students. Uh, it, it's quite a move uh, in terms of like the evil machinations to create this. To, to like, that's the cherry on top of it for me. So I, I will say I'm very jealous of that pick that you got that one on your team uh, in the most cynical of ways. So okay. I'm I'm going to pivot to a word that I think is not often on buzzword lists, but I'm going to make my case for it. And here's okay. my word. It is engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, this word has, in my mind, when I think of recently, it's kind of at the heart of some of the things that are hard in our classrooms. And it's a word that I used to have like on my signing the octopus. I mean, it wasn't an octopus back then, but signing the wall. Like, I think it had like seeped into my own mindset of engagement is the, like what the classroom needs. And it makes sense, right? Like on the surface level, like you should keep students engaged. But what I think has shifted though, and I, I use the word active now with talking with my students, is that engagement can make it seem like it's 100% the responsibility of the teacher mm-hmm. to keep students engaged. And, and trust, like you're talking to a teacher, both of us who do lots of things in our classrooms to make class engaging. We're not standing at the front of the room lecturing at them. I'm not advocating for that. But I do think that sometimes in talking about engagement, it can make it seem like it is incumbent upon teachers to engage students. And if students aren't engaged, then they can opt out. And then that's not their fault. And I I really would push back against that. I think it's students' responsibility and our responsibility collectively to build a culture where students see themselves as active learners, that they take their education for themselves, regardless of the context. And I also think when you bring in the whole phone debate, you bring in all these other things that are algorithmically way more engaging like they are Mm -hmm. they there's no way that we're going to win that competition if our job is to be the most engaging presence in the room of high schoolers uh it's just not going to happen so if engagement is the heart of what we're doing then we've lost the battle already so i i think that the word engagement is problematic in a way we don't talk about enough it's kind of my underrated pick. I wanted to take a risk and put it at my number two slot. 
because mm-hmm. as much it's as it's called believe, a sleeper, right? Yeah, it's like it's a one of those sleeper word. picks. Yeah, yeah. But I really do think, especially like looking forward, if like I think if you like listen to this podcast like ten years from now with your virtual reality headset, whatever mm-hmm. new machine we're using, I, I think this pick has some lasting staying power. Would be my case. So that's my number two pick, engagement. I think so. I think that's a good pick. I I, I totally agree with. And there's another word that's related to this that I'm not going to preview because I don't want you to pick it. But I totally agree with this idea of uh, just the amount of blame that's sort of put on teachers for, you know, your class uh, students having the opportunity to opt out and like, you know, actually, no, I feel like I have created a classroom space that is interesting and like, if and students do have an obligation, you should have an obligation in the room to try and to open up your notebook and to do some of the things that you're supposed to be doing. So that's that's a good pick, I think. Uh, and I totally agree. It's been it's been used in such a way to like constantly describe why how it's the teacher's fault that like two out of twenty students are not doing what they're supposed to do, which is, yeah. Okay. You're on the board. Pick number three, Jim. What do you got? Pick number three. Uh, I'm going to go with grit. Grit is, um, perhaps I'm, I'm picking some older words. Like I feel like maybe I don't, uh, maybe I'm not up on, on, cause this word has been around for a while, but I feel like it's potency for, terribleness is still pretty high um this idea that just well we need to be teaching grit we need to be students need to be and this comes along with like a lot of the growth mindset stuff which some of that can be good and helpful but in particular grit is i don't know if i would necessarily use the word offensive but it is certainly certainly um blind i would say to some of the realities of what it's like to be in the classroom and to be a student and it's like all right if we have a student who's struggling like you know we're english teachers i i'll speak from an english teaching background but like if a student is struggling with as a reader or as a writer one that is not something that they want to publicize especially in high school And two, so like in that way, if you don't want to publicize it and you're, you know, working with reluctant readers or reluctant writers, like they will opt out because they're nervous of demonstrating that, you know, they're struggling. They don't know what to say. They don't know what the word means, right? Grit and telling, telling a student like, oh, just buck up and like be tougher is is not a motivating way i think to like help that student along and the other thing that it doesn't do is address a very real and concrete skill gap that the student has right and i feel like a, a shift in my thinking over the past you know few years as an english teacher has been to look at and i'm you know coming back to data driven, but like in the moment, all right, if a student is not producing 
if a student is not producing work, if they're not writing, if they're not reading, maybe they're just opting out because they're having a bad day and they're pushing back and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But we, it's also a very real possibility that they don't have the skill and you can approach like in those moments to walk up and say, okay, I see that you've got nothing written down. And then you walk through the process. Like, do you need help with directions? Do you need me to define a word for you? Do you need me like approaching those things to help students like find the access point into what they're supposed to be doing is so much more effective than just automatically assuming, which I think that's like the other reason that I think this word is really toxic is it creates a lot of negative assumptions from teachers to say, well, the students aren't just tough. The students just need to be have more grit and toughen up. And, and like, if they did that, then they would be more, um, you know, better able to follow through or something. Um, so yeah, I think grit has really been really bad in education. I co-sign everything you're saying. It was a little bit lower on my list, but definitely a word. And I, I wonder here too, because I try to use, I never used the word grit. Uh, it used to be like <laughs> starting the career on the wall type deal. And it's been gone for a long time now for that reason and others, uh, especially in terms of like who, which students do we use that word with uh, in terms of rather than dr- addressing systemic inequities that fa- uh, populations or society face. But uh, the word resilience is a little bit more of like a, Hey, within this mode, this experience, like this, drawing boundaries around it like how can we be resilient within this difficult lesson etc but trying not to like you said go as broad as grit seems to be which is beyond the classroom beyond the school itself uh which is just purely offensive at times uh Mm -hmm. and i think it's i appreciate that you named it so i'm gonna pivot off of that one and use one that kind of i guess i'm gonna use it more in the teacher lens but i think it can work in the student lens too uh, and my pick for number three is self-care. Uh, mm. And I think mm-hmm. because this is one of those that's sometimes well-intended, uh, I must emphasize sometimes, but it's the most common word in my experience that practices and substantive policies are not aligned with. So people are told to practice self-care, but not given the resources or support to do so. Uh, whether that's you know, you know literally the days off to do so, whether that is uh, like the the time off or the burden removed or the space to do so, and I think that it, I mean, look, you, you go to a room of teachers right now and you use the word the phrase practice self care, you're going to see a lot of mm-hmm. eyeballs rolling. Not to mention mm-hmm. some grimaces because we know at this point that a lot of times, unfortunately, in this country there isn't the opportunity to practice self-care. It's just not going to happen. We, we just went through a, a pandemic and we saw that it's like, oh yeah, teachers are great. But now like, you know, you are in, it's incumbent upon you to go back into situations that many of you feel are unsafe and you are going to put the lives of students before your own, but practice self-care while you're doing so. And as someone who was very happy to go back to school, like I didn't need to hear the self-care part because mm-hmm. I just, I don't buy it anymore from a substantive place. I think the rhetoric around our teaching profession doesn't support self-care. So let's stop using the word until the actual policies and practices of our system align with it. So that's my case. Self-care is my third pick. Self-care is a good pick. 
that's um uh I don't even know where to begin. It is it is offensive to me to talk about self-care. I mean for all the reasons you just said, but it comes back it comes my my next pick is somewhat related to this issue, but I think um the the idea of telling teachers to do something without creating the time and space in their schedule to allow that thing to happen is the constant sort of pain point. And I think with self-care, it also pushes – like – for educational leaders to use the like to talk about the ideas of self-care and to use the ideas of self-care, I think the reason that it's offensive is one, it it assumes that we don't already know. Like I there's like a lot of there's like there's like PD sessions to talk about like what self-care is, like we had to be taught how to take care of ourselves as teachers. And also it sort of it sort of releases any kind of systemic responsibility in scheduling for um, the that type of – if you're already working in a system that, that is like taking up all the time that you have for self-care and then you're just being told to like add on another thing, that's often the, – and like, oh, you're also responsible for your own self-care. Like, no – Sometimes the school system is responsible for creating a work environment and a work stream that allows us to not be so stressed out all the time and allows us to not be taking work home constantly. And like the problem isn't that we don't know how to do self-care. The problem is that we don't have the time to do the self-care because there's this constant sacrificing of self in order to make your job tenable. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. You know, I think we could, on almost every one of these words, we could just go on and on, uh, probably build entire episode structures around them. But uh, for the sake of this draft and efficiency, we're going to move into our last two picks for each of us to get our top okay. five. So, Jim, pick number four. What do you okay. got? Uh, my pick, I'm going with another acronym, um, is PLC. And the reason that I think PLC, uh, so that stands for, 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 I'm sure most people who listen to this know, Um professional learning community um again it's to me it's the reason that this is so toxic is that it's related to time it's like oh you need if you want to get better as a teacher you should have a professional learning community either on twitter or you know within the school or within the district or whatever it is that you're meeting to share practices and share ideas and but but it can't happen during school. Don't do it on your prep period when you're responsible for grading and planning. And make sure that you are engaging in a professional learning community uh, as part of your lifestyle <laughs> outside of school. Um, and also, again, I think the reason that I don't like this word are very tied to the, both of the reasons that I don't like self-care. It releases responsibility for that type of learning like how come my professional learning is entirely dependent on me and how come 
I'm not given the time and space to engage in a PLC uh, during the school day. I think those it's just like, it's just so overused and meaningless and people like uh, I've seen, you know, leadership just kind of pivot to be like, Oh, well uh, you're struggling with this. Have you, have you talked to your PLC? Yeah. I've talked to other teachers and I'm still struggling with it. And so now I'm talking to you. So can you help me or not? And I think it's just, it's real overused and meaningless and completely absolving of any other type of responsibility. So PLC, my fourth pick. Okay. Well, I I think you're going to get a lot of popularity for that pick. Uh, I have been there. I am not in that place with you right now. Uh, You're probably not going to like hearing these things. So we actually have a late start on Wednesday that creates allocated space on top. Like you still get your planning for PLC time. Uh, You know what's happened, Uh, but it has been, and I love my PLC. We all teach uh, English 10 and I get ideas from my classroom all the time from them. Like we go over like, hey, what are the big assessments? We can find our own individual pathways to make that happen. But I do think the idea that it needs to be like you need to have time allocated for it within your schedule, not taking the place of planning and prep. And schools need to support that. But it also is humbling as a teacher to say like, hey, other people have ideas about how to teach my content too. Uh, and I can learn from them. And I have learned from them. I have stolen directly from them. Uh, some yeah. activity we're doing this week uh, is definitely like directly out of another teacher's back pocket in terms of her favorite thing to do. So it's been a really positive experience for me the last few years. I want to celebrate like my school, my leadership for making that a positive experience. And because I think it isn't, I think your your experience with PLCs is far more frequent. And I think all your reasoning for picking it is great. It just is complete. Like I'm just having a really good PLC experience right now. So. Uh, well, they, on board. And that's the thing, like they can be like peel. I like the idea itself is great. And I think um, the problem is the implementation has been virtually, I, I, I think that's pretty unique. I, I don't, I'd be curious to see data talk about data driven. I'd be curious to see like the ways in which other schools implement this, because that sounds great. I would love, I would love to do that. Yeah. So, well, All right, what's your next pick? I know. Uh, so let's just move on. Uh, my pick number four is going to be this phrase that bothers me, especially a little bit more every year, uh, 21st century learning. Uh, so we've, mm-hmm. been ascent, like, we've been talking about and like our job is to prepare our students for the new century to be 21st century learners. And I really think we say this without any re- idea of what it actually means. Uh, not to mention, we're now almost a quarter century into this 21st century we're talking about. And I feel like it's kind of one of those empty phrases, like you were saying, that people just say because it sounds good. You know, you know, oh, like they're going to open a computer, 21st century learning. Oh, they're going to post on a discussion board digitally, 21st century learning. Like yeah. it, we haven't had the hard conversation of what skills and mindsets do students really need walking in to this new world going forward. Not to mention, we're not willing to do the hard work of actually restructuring our curriculum of our, Mm -hmm. oh, you take your math, you take your science, take your social studies, take your English. We've been doing that for a century, but we haven't been willing to make the hard pivot to make our schools fit whatever ambiguous 21st century learning requires. So 
I really just, this term bothers me because I think it's one of the most commonly thing, said things that people have no idea what they mean by it. And if they did know, then we're not holding ourselves accountable to the very standards as posits. So yeah, this one bothers me a lot. A little personal irk, but uh, I think it belongs on my draft board. Okay. I think that's, yeah, I think there's no, there doesn't seem to be any clear definition of 21st century learning beyond the ability to use the internet to submit your, to submit your work. Um, if we were doing actual 21st, first of all, most teachers are already thinking about the end of the 21st century. Like every teachers are thinking about what is the world we live in right now and what do students need to be successful in that world? I just assumed the other day, talk to me, because they were doing a research project on social on um, misinformation on social media. And they were like, how come we don't have like a class? Like, how come we don't have a class that teaches people how like about social media and about like, you know, I feel, or at least a unit, like you could roll social media into the health curriculum and that's another like not schools don't even have a health curriculum a lot of them but yeah i i agree 21st century learning is um completely meaningless and just kind of means whether or not you can use google classroom but Mm -hmm. other than that uh not much okay this is a big moment now because like our draft boards are pretty set but you get one more pick that might sway the votership about which one is the ultimately worst list of buzzwords. Jim, your fifth and final pick, no pressure. Yeah, I am feeling the pressure. I have two in mind. I'm looking at one, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick the other one, which is differentiation. Um, differentiation is so, first of all, There is another word, and I don't know, I have another word that's related to this. You may end up picking it. So can I, should I say the word? Because you got your last pick. I don't think it's going to be that word. So you can, I mean, you only get one pick. Your pick is differentiation, to be clear, from your... Yeah, yeah. My pick is differentiation. Years ago, so... My pick is differentiation. um, And related, there were two other there were actually two other words that i was going to pick uh one was rigor and the other was accountability um which didn't end up making the cut but i feel like i went with differentiation because it's very closely related to accountability and this idea okay yes students learn at different levels and they have different uh speeds and pathways and so you have to have there's there's so much time and effort that's focused on the accountability of the teacher to say have you actually thought through this group of students and this group of students and this group of students to make sure to pull a word from your list that they are maximally engaged with throughout throughout from bell to bell that's another phrase that didn't make it on the list right and it's like okay the idea that teachers are not aware that students learn at different paces. Like that's like the first thing that you learn your first minutes in the classroom. You see in bright red lines, like students learning at different paces. So I feel like 
all lessons, the, the sequencing of a lesson plan, the, the gradual and the, the different types of ways that students can find an access point into a lesson plan, that is also differentiation and giving extensions for students and giving like teachers just do so much of this stuff naturally, but the, the word differentiation gets tossed around so much because you have, it's another layer of accountability, I think. And just like checking to make sure that teachers are, and oftentimes the worst impact of this is when you have all of these like really meaningless lesson plan templates where you have to write out two sentences uh, for differentiation to explain how, explain to who? Explain to an administrator who's not going to read your lesson plan how you have thought through differentiation. Like, come on. And so I think there's a lot of better, more sort of universal approaches to lesson planning and a, a, a much more efficient and feasible way for students or for teachers to sort of successfully have um, a lesson structure that they know student like students can engage with at different paces and is and is naturally designed for students of different abilities so yeah that's the i'm going with differentiation that's my last pick it's it should probably it should just the idea shouldn't go in the garbage pail but a lot of the ways that we sort of uh manage teachers towards this and and make sure that they're doing all this stuff is that needs to go and I feel like differentiation is the permission structure for all that bad stuff. Yeah. And I think like this is a, a reliable one. I think it's going to continue, unfortunately, to be a reliable one because mm -hmm. so often I think if, if you were not in education and the idea of like, hey, out of your class of 25 to 30 students, we're going to there's going to be seven to eight students are going to be in that class that you're legally required to differentiate for them to fill out these practices to adjust, which is all well intended, but we're going to give you zero extra time to do that. So there's a little mm -hmm. bit of a bluff or it, it seems like not a big deal. If you're like, oh, there's this one student who needs to have this differentiation to be successful and teachers are going to try and do this out of the good spirit of their heart, trying to serve all their students. But the more you put on that docket of having to differentiate and not just to the top and to the bottom, but and you don't allocate time for that, it doesn't happen. And then the very process and the goal isn't supported. And I think we're also moving to this idea where kind of everyone feels like, oh, I should have the right as a student to be individually differentiated. Like this class should meet exactly where I'm at as a learner. And that's when the class of 30, 35, never going to happen. Like some, and I, that's where I love to take feedback and put it in front of students and say like, hey, what would you do if you had different students responding these ways? Uh, yeah, I, I, that word definitely belongs on this list, so I'm glad you got it. I'm going to leave off with my final pick, the words that you said, though I think they're all reliable ones. Mm. And I'm going to use a different word uh, that I think in the last five years has picked up steam, a word I use a lot, uh, so maybe like calling myself out on this, and it's the word culture. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think like, I don't know who wrote the book, like the culturized book that a lot of admin uh, were, was very popular in the last half decade. This idea of building culture, especially, is one that I think seems really well intended. I've known really good leaders who prioritize culture, 
The reason I think it belongs on this list is I think culture according to whom. Like, who are you soliciting feedback on to understand your building culture? And are you willing to adjust your practices to meet the actual stakeholders' needs around culture? And I think this is something where it's fun to talk about culture if the culture fits your personal lens and way of being as a leader, as a teacher, uh, I guess within our classrooms. But the hard work is saying, is asking your stakeholders, asking your students in your classroom, like very straightforwardly and honestly, how is our culture? And then adjusting practices and prioritizing shifts in culture to make it better especially for those voices that don't always get centered in these conversations. So I think that there's a gap, chasm, between the way we talk about culture and our willingness to meaningfully adjust our practices and policies to make culture better for all of our stakeholders. And that is something that bothers me. uh, And I wanted to name it to make sure it made this list. I think it's, yeah, it's a good pick it's a word that's like again are you it just it's kind of signals that people are assuming that we're not already thinking about this um and also like are you giving any tools i mean yeah you you said all you said it all but it's it's definitely a a word that's kind of lost its meaning and and should probably go in the garbage bin okay <laughs> so let, we've got our draft. Congratulations. Got the draft. I, I, so I'm yeah. going to read through the picks again for our listeners. So Jim okay. Buzzword team, uh, his top five are data-driven, CRT, grit, PLC, and differentiation. So That's you, right. you've got the acronym strategy going there, uh, and yeah. we'll make sure these are posted. Uh, on my end, uh, my team, my number one pick was learning loss, then engagement, self-care, 21st century learning, and culture. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to guess that without listening to the episode, you might have a good head start because I think you picked some pretty popular ones. So we'll see uh, how the, the voting public responds to this. Uh, and you already named a couple ones that didn't make your list. I'm, I have some on my like backup round. Uh, I will be honest. These are, I, I was able to get my top five in order. So I appreciate okay. you. That's great to that uh, maybe that's more of my like creative roundabout so uh, maybe we have another episode like do a draft recap in terms of your thought process going into pick number three and pick number four it'd be interesting to do like are we going to do like a sweet 16 like uh like march madness style head to head where like you have the ultimate winner maybe we'll see it we'll see what the responsiveness is to that that would require more than the picks we've got because we've got yeah so maybe if we get some feedback from listeners about what should be added to the bracket we'll 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 play around with that but for now i do just i I appreciated this because it made me think about how to prioritize these and also it's 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 quite an unfortunate thing that we have so many words to choose from uh oh yeah education there's a lot there's a lot so with that said, uh, we're getting to our time constraints. So I want to just uh, appreciate you for uh, your willingness to jump into this game, this draft. Like, Welcome to your first podcast draft. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I feel like that is, if, if we're already doing the cliche thing, we should go cliche squared with the podcast draft. And yeah. uh, 
hope everything's going well. I mean, I think as much as we're cynical in some of our conversations, uh, the moment we get back into our classrooms, uh, we feel pretty good. And I think that's something I'm grateful for too. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, Marcus, we'll have a great rest of your weekends. Have a good week next week in school. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Welcome to November. Take care. Yeah, welcome to November. That's right. The Broken Copier is an independent, listener-supported podcast for teachers. The show is written and hosted by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Mayers. I do editing and sound design for the show as well. Thanks to Alberto Lugo, a former student of mine, for writing and producing original intro music. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Alberto is an independent DJ and music producer based in New York City. You can find his work on Instagram at DJ Synchro and explore his portfolio at djsynchro.weebly.com. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher currently based in Australia. Right now you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, available now on Spotify. You can stream all his music on Spotify under the name Uncivilized, find him on Instagram at banduncivilized, and online at uncivilizedtom.com. You can even sign up for remote guitar lessons with him, just like I do. Links are in the show notes. Thanks very much to my sister, Courtney Malavik, for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there, past, present, and future, who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free. Reach out on social media at The Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas to thebrokencopier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching and learning at thebrokencopier.substack.com where we publish all of our episodes available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.